What's up, everybody? It's actually January 1st, 2017, as I record this, but you're probably watching this somewhere closer to January 2nd, 2017. Welcome. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the Monday Morning Analyst here on MMAfighting.com, well, on the YouTube channel anyway. Um, hope you guys are doing well. Happy New Year to you. Thank you so much for watching and uh, for all the support you guys gave this podcast in the past year. Um, we have a lot to get to, do we not? So no time to waste. Three parts to the podcast. We review the action from the weekend, take a closer look at some things in particular in the second segment, and then take a look at what's coming up in the week ahead. Three bigger events to get to. I'm not going to get to a whole lot in the smaller two ones, the Ryzen event and um, um, uh, World Series of Fighting 34, but we will get to some of the highlights from those that, uh, that merit it. But the big one, the granddaddy of them all, uh, UFC 207. So let's get to that right now. UFC 207 took place at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Had an attendance of 18,533 for a total gate of 4.75 million. Pretty good. Uh, not one of the top 10 biggest gates in Nevada history for MMA, but certainly that is no box office failure. That is a great, great number. Um, okay. So, Ronda Rousey loses to Amanda Nunes at 48 seconds into the first round. Here's how we're going to talk about this. We're going to break this fight down in the second segment for the most part. Um, I have had so many questions asked of me of this fight. I've had so many questions I've thought about in this fight. And I want to get to all of them. I might have to do a separate video about it. I mean, i got to do a bunch of separate videos, but there's so many aspects to this. Not really the way in which she lost, but how we can decipher what went wrong, who's to blame, uh, how could this have happened, all of these things. Um, so what I'm going to do is, in the second segment, before we look at all the slides, we're going to look at some interesting footage I dug up from Edmund Tarverdian, and we're going to use that as the way in which to discuss this fight. So let me just table the discussion here for just a moment, but we are going to break down what happened with Amanda and Rhonda because it is... Shocking is simply an insufficient word to describe it. Now, that being said, Cody Garbrandt uh, defeated Dominic Cruz, unanimous decision, 48-46, 48-47, 48-46. Scores, I think, through the first two rounds were a little bit all over the place, but from rounds 10, excuse me, rounds 3 through 5, uh, the 10-minute mark, I should say, he just took over the fight, dropping him badly in that fourth round. You know, I, in real time, I was so amazed. I had a hard time understanding what, what was going on, and then I went back and I watched the fight two or three more times. You know what this fight reminded me of? It, that fight, what I'm about to say, is very different, but it, just saying reminded me of. It reminded me of the first Shogun and Machida fight. Because heading into that fight, Machida had this weird style, this the blitzing, and and just this sort of bizarre approach to the game that a lot of folks had trouble dealing with, there wasn't a lot of. And Shogun just decided to, to beat him with Muay Thai. Like, didn't play his game, didn't buy into it. Now, we know Shogun lost the first one, however controversially, but you get the idea. Whatever else you want to say about Shogun in that fight, and of course, you know, crushing him in the rematch, there was no doubt that like he just wasn't playing Machida's game. This is what this fight ha happened in this fight. Why did Cody win? A, a, a few reasons. Number one, he when he came forward, actually, he had mixed success. And when I say mixed, I mean usually didn't go his way. He was swinging in the air when he came forward. Dominic, I think, was partly waiting on that. But the reason why he won, number one, was he counterfought the whole time. He made Dominic come to him. And the reason why that was successful was in part that he had such ability to explode into combinations in, in tight quarters and B, he could just read a scenario. They had, they had gauged his movements so that he didn't, he didn't buy on the fates and fakes. Uh, excuse me, the feints and fakes. He waited until he came and usually he would attack same side, not all the time, but if he was, if Dominic would throw a punch from this side, it would be okay. I don't think that, uh, Garbrandt was particularly worried about his power, and they would would connect on him on the same side. And then if he could, in tight quarters, throw two or three of them. Um, a lot of times he used defensive movement. I mean, that fourth round, is a time where he dodged like five or six punches, and that's when he did the robot, like, uh, you know, uh, rest in peace, Ryan Jimmo, out there, um, ducking and dodging. But it was that counterfighting, and he never really got out of any kind of rhythm. You never saw when, when Dominic was coming in and going side to side. Cody was just kind of always right here. He might put a hand up, you know, in like a, a, a tight adjustment, not a huge adjustment. Like he didn't, he didn't wind up on a punch necessarily that much. He might, he might do a little bit of that, but he was waiting, waiting. 
Dominic would throw a shot. He might eat it. He might get out of the way because he could react so quickly and then and then counter him right on top or whatever the case may be. He, he threw a lot of, again, rights on the right side, a lot of lefts over the top on the left side. It really all depended. Um, a lot of times if Dominic got caught in space by being just a little bit lazy, um, you would see Garbrandt fire the kicks from that range. Uh, if he, they did any fence work, um, Garbrandt would unload. You even saw a lot of times Garbrandt mastering distance. This is another reason you could add to it, where he always had a really good distance. If Dom tried anything, he wasn't even a little bit comfortable. He'd get out of the way, circle, and reset, and kind of always knew where he had to be to isolate Dom so that if Dom came in, then he could counteract him. Right, it's, it's one thing to sort of like try to march down Dominic, so now he gets to be the one cutting the angles. It's another one where he has to come to you, and you know what your distance is, so you can slide out of the pocket, you can, you can, uh, you can slip, you can duck, you can do whatever you need. Or you know, uh, ducking is more like this. It's it's not exactly a duck, but you know what I mean. Making the U shape with your head, the bobbing and the weaving, right? Um, and so at at times, at the end of those. As Dominic is missing, that he was able at the very end of him to cut an angle and land a shot himself. So it was just a masterful performance from Cody Garbrandt. Truly a guy coming of age. But like I was just trying to think, you know, did Cody have him completely figured out? I don't think Cody tried to like unlock the mystery of Dominic's footwork. He didn't get lost in the game that Dominic was playing. He didn't try and say, okay, when he puts his feet together in this combination, he's gonna throw that. And I think even as an analyst, as a you know, whatever version of one I am. I try to do that sometimes. Like when I, I would try and like, you know, read the combinations of his feet and see what that would lean into. And BJJ Scout did a really great job of that. But Dominic, I mean, uh, Garbrandt, I think he tried to pay some attention to that. Like wh whatever kind of entry he had, they had an answer for. But he's so athletic and had such a good read and such a good management of distance and, you know, great footwork by him too. Always having his feet under him, able to slide out of the way, lean, slip, the whole bit. He was always able to just, for a large part, be out of the reach of the guy where the only thing that really landed a lot from Dominic was the leg kick and I don't think it ever did a whole lot of good in slowing down uh, Cody Garbrandt um, just phenomenal truly truly phenomenal performance from Cody Garbrandt but it, 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 he didn't again he played his game he totally played his game um, he's gotten better with his own defensive head movement and certainly he was really disciplined about distance but he just waited till the guy came in I guess had some kind of idea about what he might throw given d different positions and different entries. But once that was in, uh, make an athletic choice. Boom. Crack him. And if you could, fire up if you were allowed to. And if you had him coming at you and you were getting out of the way, change the angle and then get after him. So w when Cody went forward, didn't have a whole lot of success. But when he stayed in space and you know, pumped his jab a little bit, pumped the teep a little bit, and then let Dom come to him, time it, make sure you get at the right kind of look you want, crack him with something, or as Dom comes through, duck, duck, not duck, bob, dodge, slip, cut an angle, and then get him. And that was all she wrote. And Dominic just wasn't really able to get a whole lot done with it. Plus, there was the other key component here is, and I mentioned this on the, the immediate recap that I did, Dominic and TJ Dillashaw get compared a lot, and I think for a lot of good reasons. Um, you know, Dominic, didn't wrestle much in this one, and TJ did wrestle a lot against Lineker, but up to this point, it's actually TJ who liked to strike more. But Dominic needed needed to be able to mix up the wrestling in this game in order to um, to win, and he couldn't get anything going. In fact, when I mentioned before, Dom comes in, Cody got out of the way, Cody was the one to slip, and then change on a dime, and that's how he got that takedown, I think, in the second or maybe the third round. Pretty amazing. TJ Dillashaw defeating John Lineker, 30-26 uh, across the board. Just completely outclassed him. As I mentioned again on Saturday night, who, which guy had the more dynamic offense? It was just one guy who could do this and another guy who can do this. You know, that, that's just really the difference between it. Um, the calf slicer was a thing of beauty. Didn't really get anywhere with it. Jerogan was a little bit dismissive of the calf slicer. He's like, it's just pain. You, you can... You can injure someone's knee with it. It's a little bit more than a pain submission. Plus, it is extraordinarily painful. But, you know, it's... It, John Lineker's a tough bastard, so it's going to be hard to get that guy to tap to anything. But we're going to look at some of the takedowns that TJ Dillashaw did in the second uh, segment. Um, you know, they're basic kind of takedowns, but they're expertly set up and expertly timed. And, you know, he's not reinventing the wheel, but he has a bunch of unique entries for things. And um, and it worked. It really worked. Dong Hyung Kim defeating Tarek Safadine, 27-30, 29-28, 29-28. Very difficult fight to score. 
Look, here's what I'll say. The Safadine's foot sweeps were a thing of beauty, catching them several times. But this was an ugly clinch battle, and it's really hard to decipher who won. Ray Borg coming in way overweight, defeating Louis Smolka, 30-27, 30-26, 30-26. could just never get anything going. Was, you know, a guy who's a great grappler, but uh, the positional tightness and control of Ray Borg was simply too much for him. Um, great work from the back. Uh, great work from the front headlock. Never letting himself... Uh, Ray Borg just keeping keeping everything in front of him, so to speak, right? Never trying to work from too many different side angles. Dominating with takedowns and you know the pickup and the throws. Um, I think it was just too he was just physically too much for Lewis Smoker, who's a very talented guy, of course. But um, yeah, he just you know there's a question there about to what extent missing weight benefited him, but uh, different discussion for a different time in terms of Ray Borg. Uh, Neil Magny defeating Johnny Hendricks 29-28 across the board. That's how I scored it. I thought Magny stole the first and third rounds, just better guard work. Um, He actually made Hendricks pick his poison in the third, had kind of the shallow choke, a little bit more up here, but he had the nice arm extension. And so what happens? Uh, Johnny has to dive his shoulder into it so he can get his elbow close to his body and kind of wrap through, but it gave a, a bit of a tighter choke. It didn't finish him, but, you know, if the fight had gone longer, maybe it would have. Um, to me, this really came down to, like, Johnny didn't have much to speak of in the striking, but I thought in the second round, he did look pretty good on the ground. He's going to be good from those, like, referee position kind of um, scenarios, and when he was passing guard, he was shutting the guard down. Like, if you're passing the guard, Neil can't really get necessarily a whole lot going. He has to kind of stop, he has to address the pass before he's going to be able to address the... Um, ability to throw up something with his guard. Now, it's not so linear. You can mix the two together. I'm not saying you have to stop one, then you can go it. But if someone's worried about threatening the pass, uh, or you know, trying to stop it, that's going to occupy most of their attention. When he was doing that, he did a great job. But in the first and the third, he wasn't really trying to pass. And so that's when he then those triangles were able to get locked up at the end of those rounds. Plus, he was going for sweeps. He definitely was more offensive doing things with his guard versus the ground and pound. But Johnny had a good, I mean, let's be clear, Johnny had a good second round. Is that enough? Probably not. But, um, you know, when he was offensive on the ground and with the wrestling, he was winning. But when he was just kind of stalling or not trying to threaten the pass, you saw what happened. Um, Shoe face. Antonio Carlos Jr. defeating Marvin Vittori. 29-28 across the board. Vittori looks like he could be a good prospect. Just needs a little bit of seasoning. Shoe face just a little bit ahead of him technically in, in the clinch and on the ground. Uh, Alex Garcia knocking out Mike Pyle, 334 of the first round. Steps to his left, creates a lane for his right, Frankie Edgar uh, Aldo style at UFC 200, and just bombs on him. And I think um, Pyle was doing like a switch step knee, so when it hit, he was already kind of leaning. And the punch being super hard took him like literally off of his feet. Uh, Pyle being 41 years old probably has some questions to ask about um, how much longer he wants to do this. Nico Price with a nice uh, submission of Brandon Thatch, 430 of the first round. I had some people asking me, like, why can't Thatch get better at grappling? Um, I'm sure he's training. It's hard to get good at grappling. Um, he might have some other issues involved, but um, I, I'm certain that he's training. It's just, you, just because you train doesn't mean you automatically acquire skills. Like, it, it not everyone does. Uh, Alex Oliveira and Tim Means had a terrible fight. Uh, Those knees were illegal on Friday, and they're illegal now. I don't know what was happening with that broadcast uh, on Fight Pass being like, well, they might be legal. No. No, no, they definitely were not legal. They were the opposite of that. So I don't know what happened there. Uh, Fighter of the card for me is going to go to Cody Garbrandt. I mean, Amanda Nunes did an incredible job, which we'll talk about in just a second. But definitely for me, it goes to Cody Garbrandt. Um, Also, this weekend... I'm not even going to go through all the Ryzen stuff because some of it is just so shameful with the Gabby Garcia fight. I'm not even going to get into that. But a couple things I do want to mention. Number one, uh, Tenshin Nasukawa had a tough first round, um, or first fight, I should say, against um, some Ukrainian guy whose name now escapes me. Almost got armbarred and had to do the least technical thing imaginable, which was basically just create a scramble. But here's what I will say about him. When he is on his feet, when he, he is super lightning quick, dynamic. He has strikes that he can throw that are camouflage that come out of nowhere. Very precise striker, great ground and pound. Really enjoyed that. Strong takedowns, especially upper body. Um, standing, like he's got he's got he, any kind of sort of standing position, attack, clinch, or whatever. He's just got a lot of 
uh, a lot of skills already. Not so great necessarily with the takedown defense. I think off of his back, he's got a lot of work to do, but he's 18 um, and is a obviously has real potential as a, uh, a developing prospect. Give a shout-out to Chrome Gracie submitting Tatsuya Kawajiri. Boy, that is not an easy thing to do. I know Kawajiri is not what he used to be, but Chrome Gracie goes in there and just pulls guard. Pulls guard a, a few times, kind of does a little bit of dirty boxing to the extent that he needs to, and was just really good at manipulating um, Kawajiri um, with his posture and any kind of scramble, either with his legs or some kind of hook and uh, collar tie. And then in the end, I mentioned this the last time Chrome Gracie fought. Go back and watch. He doesn't lock up the body triangle. He puts both feet in the hips and then uses that, or he'll put one foot in the hip and then one foot on his other foot, and he uses that to move a guy around, to steer them in one direction or the other. That is a super, super sophisticated way to control someone from the back. A lot of people prefer, prefer the lockdown because it's just, or not the lockdown, I'm sorry, the body lock, but a triangle because it just shuts everything down. He is actually willing to play with the danger because if you're good at it, if you can surf that wave, um, you can do a whole lot more with it. But it takes a very sophisticated jujitsu player to do something like that. Grown Gracie out there is quietly making noise. Um, I don't know what his future holds. I do think the fact that he's fighting in a ring with the closed tight angles is enabling him to close distance and then pull guard on guys easier. Like... You know, is he going to get Ronda Rousey by somebody who's able to like pump the jab and escape in the octagon where you have instead of this kind of space, right? You have this kind of open space. You know, maybe we'll see, but uh, something to pay attention to. Uh, I'm trying to think what else from that guard. Uh, you know, look, old man Mirko Krokop getting it done it was timing Ali Akbari coming in and just crushed him with the left. I thought Mo did a pretty good job in their fight, getting the takedown and controlling the first round for the most part. Um, just got caught with a nice inside shot against the fence, and that dropped him. And doesn't only takes one punch. I know some people were complaining, like, "How can you watch this stuff? These guys are on PEDs." I'm like, I just please stop forever. Um, there were some other standouts, you know, Rin Nakai fought on this card, uh, but those are the only ones that really sort of spoke to me uh, on this particular event. And then, of course, ooh, can't forget World Series of Fighting 34. Um, very quickly, if I may. And yes, I do know that uh, Baruto lost. Quite the shame that Baruto lost. Um, okay, real quickly, I know all the guys defended their titles. Um, David Branch defeating Lewis Taylor, Smilino Rama defeating Jake Hune. I'm not even going to get into that for very quickly. Marlon Moraes defeating Jose Naldo Silva, who had a knee injury. Uh, he was winning that one anyway. Uh, Marlon Moraes, Moraes looked amazing in this fight for however long it lasted, 2.30 of the first round. You know, he was able to, like, lean a certain direction, get a guy to bite on a fake, and then come with an uppercut through the middle. Uh, pretty incredible stuff from him. John Fitch and Jake Shields fought to a unanimous decision in favor of John Fitch. Fitch had a bit of a tough round in the second where Shields was able to get mount, but it basically went like you thought it would. Whoever controlled the wrestling won this fight, and that was Fitch's game. There was a couple times where Shields was able to create scrambles, but then John would control from the front headlock position. Um, it was just really a guy. With, there wasn't a huge difference between them, but one guy was just a bit more physical, better wrestler, and that was John Fitch. The interesting note is at the end of that fight, John Fitch tells, um, I think, Joey Varner, um, I had a, what he called a funny result on a recent MRI, and, um, and uh, he, that might be his last fight. So pay attention to that. If that's the case, that's you know very sad, obviously. And then Justin Gaethje defeating Luis Firmino because he busted up Firmino's right eye. Let me just say this. He came on strong in the third, but you can make a case he lost the first and definitely lost the second. He was getting pieced up, Justin Gaethje was. Firmino was connecting with everything. Lefts, crosses, left hooks, right uppercuts. I mean, you name it. It was jump knees he caught him with in the second round. You know, Justin Gaethje took a ton of damage in that fight. And he came back because he's a warrior, but... Yikes! Like, go back and watch. It's very exciting. Aired on NBC, and of course, took place at the theater at, at, at Madison Square Garden. But, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, a tremendous amount of damage. Firmino was icing him um, before. I guess he get gassed, and then his right eye swelled up real bad, and so he couldn't do a whole lot with that. By the way, Yushin Okami. Uh, I don't know what happened with this fight with Paul. You know what? Let me see if I can find that because that would be nubs to just end that way. Sorry, y'all. Had a bad result. Let's see. Uh, I don't know what the gate is on that one. 
Yeah, Yushin Okami defeated Paul Bradley via split decision. I don't have much to say about that. Um, but I did think that Kayla Harrison did a pretty good job on commentary. And um, if you got some questions about Mike Goldberg's commentary, ask him on the live chat. Okay, let's do this. There's a lot to say about Amanda Nunez and Ronda Rousey, and I want to say it. I want to show you something I dug up before UFC 170 that I think you might find very interesting. That will tell us a lot about this, or at least give us a sense of what could be real and what should not be taken seriously. So let's take a break, and in the next segment, I'm going to play you something, and I'm going to talk about the Ronda Rousey fight, then we're going to look at it, and of course look at something TJ Dillashaw did. Yeah. I don't, want to, I don't want to waste any more time. I don't want to set this up. Just take my word for it. You're going to want to see this clip. Okay? Let's watch it now. What can we really say about that Rousey fight, man? Is she done? How much is Edmund to blame? I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I noticed. Number one, let's just start with what we saw that night. Number, I, I saw a, a woman who physically looked prepared, like shredded, in shape, focused, didn't have many of the same, or had, I should say, should have, uh, did have many of the same telltale signs as before about like, did she, was there some consistency in everything, and did she look the same, did she act the same, same music, right? Nothing had changed. Sometimes these little changes happen, and they, uh, they don't, they don't cause things, but they reflect something that could cause a different outcome. Small example, I think you know when Conor McGregor was doing the whole El Chapo bit, just getting a little bit too big for his britches, um, and you know paid the con- paid the, uh, the cost. I didn't see any of that. Um, why did she lose? She couldn't establish any clinches. Her footwork was terrible. Her balance was terrible. Um, I think she got dazed by punches early and never was able to recover. She was constantly physically at the end of Amanda Nunez's punches. She was never cutting angles. She would throw something and then stay in space. Uh, a, a lot of those things. And I saw a lot of talk. You know, so Amanda Nunez just chewed her to pieces. I mean, it was a- academic, quite honestly. Um, but I saw a lot of people saying, you know, Edmund is a terrible coach. Oh my God, he's the worst coach. And I'm not inclined to think that he is part of the solution by any stretch of the imagination. Trust me, he is not. He is not part of the solution. But I want to play you something. And I want to see what you think about this. Because it looks like to me, there's a few scenarios that could be accurate, which we'll talk about after you watch. Watch what he says before UFC 170. Watch what he says. He says things like, Ronda Rousey was watched by Gennady Golovkin and he couldn't critique her boxing. He says things like, he's bringing in world champion boxers, um, and or I should say medalists, and they're getting dropped by her by body shots. And that she can't train in another camp because she needs that kind of specificity to raise her level, like all this foundation he's building. Watch this and see what you think. Take a look go all crazy and still get the best of it i didn't teach her that style at the beginning why because it just it's i think it's stupid to get hit with those shots and i always told her so we stayed on her legs a lot and establishing that jab learning accurate boxing and then you know now she's good now we have training with people like in big bear gennady golovkin you know i have them sit down and watch her training session and i tell them if you have any advice what she's doing and they're like surprised on her boxing skills they're like there's nothing we could say so if you have olympic silver medalist reigning world amateur champion biggest knockout ratio in boxing history somebody in the middleweight saying something like that about you that means this girl could box i'm not gonna give out what she's gonna do but i'll be honest we get boxing world champions in here girls she drops all of them with body shots too so if you're dropping people with 14 ounce gloves you guys should be seeing that it's hard, you know, I put the foundation in her to put a foundation. I can't have like 10 fighters. Everybody has a different athleticism. Everybody's a different fighter. You have somebody like Jasmine Duke, nice and long, you know, athletic. So she's like 6'1", what fights at 35. So the, the style has to be a bit different. You know, breaking the distance has to be different. Placing your shots have to be a little bit different. And she's not a judo specialist. So putting in times with somebody like Ronda, we need a, we needed to fight using what she's best at is her judo, and we, we have done that, you know. She was with the Sarah Kaufman fight, people were thinking, oh, it's a striker, you know, that was 16-1, and one. it's going to be tough, but you guys see how she gets inside so easy. Nobody else could do that because I believe there's nobody in the octagon that could run away from Ronda. She's got great legs on her. Her pressure, her footwork in boxing is great. 
So you have to put in the individual attention if you want to have a top-level athlete like that. I can't teach everybody. If I, if I have 20 people in a class, I try to explain that everybody's style, I think it'll take me like 10 hours and we won't do nothing in the class. So, you know, this is the way that we did it. That's why she looks that good. If she wasn't with me, she would still be a UFC champion. Yes, absolutely yes, if we didn't train the way we are. But would it be this way dominant? She says no, so we put in the time with her so we could be dominant like the, the way she's been doing. Now, what do you make of that? Your first reaction probably is revulsion at what Edmund is saying or that you're, it's laughable. I mean, it's, it's, in retrospect, and you'll see the slides, it gets even worse as you look at the slides from the fight on Friday. Elbows out here, you know, ramrod straight, off balance on her feet, like everything that could go wrong did. But here's what I was wondering. He's saying Gennady Golovkin went up there and said, I have nothing to critique. He's saying he's dropping all these girls with body shots. There's only a few scenarios that where that where we can make sense of his claims. Number one, he could be lying. And this is a guy, of course, who has made inconsistent statements to tax authorities, who has a history of um, other crimes related to uh, fraudulent behavior. So this could all just be lies. And I think that could be a very likely explanation. The other one is, maybe it's somewhat true but exaggerated that maybe she wasn't dropping girls with body shots but and, you know it told it to take it easy on her maybe she landed a couple of them when they were good or you know Gennady Golovkin was just being friendly uh, I suppose that's another one as well or here's the third one maybe it was all completely true maybe Gennady Golovkin was impressed with her boxing maybe he was like wow this is really good didn't think necessarily she was going to set the world on fire but for an MMA fighter from a judo background geez pretty good Maybe she was in there and just tearing people up and dropping them. Any of those scenarios make sense, and here's why. You can believe Edmund would just not tell the truth, right? You can believe in the second scenario that maybe some of it's true and he's just exaggerating. You can believe that too. And you could believe even that the third scenario is true where all of those things happened. Because what it would say is that if the third scenario is true and Edmund is telling the truth about what happened, that that would make Ronda Rousey shot. That would, that would do that to her. Which is possible. It's totally possible. But it feels like we are talking about an alternate dimension. How can it be that Gennady Golovkin, Triple G, was like, yeah, I got nothing to say. Oh, look at these, look at these um, world champions being brought in who got dropped. And she brought in another Olympic-level caliber uh, uh, boxer for this past camp. Forget the one about 170. Um, how can that be? So there's some portion of this theory that... Yeah, there's some way you have to figure this out for yourself. Either you think it's true and she's completely shot. Either it's not really all that true, maybe partially true, and so her decline in some ways makes sense. Or he's just completely lying. And I think you can find a reason to pick out any of the scenarios. But here's what we know. Whatever happened back then, she's either made no progress or regressed dramatically. So you listen to that corner audio from Edmund, and what you get a sense of is, you know, desperation. He's not yelling, though, the wrong things. You know, faint, jab, clinch, uh, move. Like, he's, they weren't like the worst instructions. But what is true is that the record around him is not good, from Jake Ellenberger to Travis Brown to Jessamine Duke, and all, all, most, if not all, these people have left him. Um the statement about the financial health of the club in which he operates generally. You have now his mother, or Rossi's mother, excuse me, saying terrible things about his ability to coach, as well as being an indecent human being beyond that. Um, I don't know what the truth is, but my, I think the best you can say about him, the best you can say about him, is that he can't prepare her for tr her true greatness. Let us also say something, though. Edmund's not the one in there fighting. I don't know if he's delusional or a liar or he actually did do these things and then she just fell apart from some because of his inability to keep her on track, which would also be a failing of his coaching. Like, no matter what, he's a failure in this context. Like, there's no way to look at this and think, wow, he came out looking awesome. But what I also have to say is, how much is Rousey, how much does she have to bear here? Did she really get over the KO loss? If it's true that Gennady Golovkin showed up and was like, I've got nothing to critique, is she surrounding herself with yes-men, right? And Gennady Golovkin probably isn't a yes-man, but, you know, tried to be nice to another celebrity. He doesn't want to go out of his way to be, like, particularly unhelpful. 
Right, you just know what I mean. Like she's surrounding herself in this world where they're telling her a lot of good things that aren't really real. Maybe they did tell sparring partners to take it easy on her, and then she goes in there and clubs him and thinks that she's setting the world on fire. The only real footage we've ever seen was the one from Vic Darchinian, um, another guy that you know uh, Edmund coached for only I think only a couple of fights and had a mixed record there. I'm just pointing out Edmund deserves a, a significant portion of the blame here, but it's also true that Rousey was the one who went in there and fought. Maybe you could say another thing about Edmund, that he had some kind of responsibility to her if he knew that she was this broken to take her out. Or maybe she's a gym star and she can't bring it to life uh, in the octagon. Maybe that's another component of this. Um, it, there's so many different ways to look at this. But what I can say is, I think with any, with, I should say with uh, certainty, no doubt about it, um, she had no business fighting Amanda Nunes that night. I think she needed a tune-up fight. I know some people are like, oh, there's no reason to do a tune-up fight. It would be have all these different negative consequences. Well, really? Well, look what just happened at the alternative. A disaster of epic proportions. And I do think there's something to be said for training in these team environments. Yes, I think you also want to have a specialized nucleus around you, right? Maybe your own dietitian, some of your own personal sparring partners that you don't share with anybody else. But you just got to understand, when you train with a team, you get a bunch of different looks from a bunch of different guys and or, or ladies, whatever the case may be. And that, that's really helpful in jiu-jitsu. It's really helpful in boxing. It's really helpful in judo, whatever you pick it. You, know, you never want to go too far outside your weight class because injuries or something else can happen. But there's something to be said for just getting tons of different looks in tons of different scenarios from tons of different people. I don't know who Ronda was training with for the most part. I don't know who her sparring partners were. I don't know how much sparring she did. We don't know the answers to any of this. And that all might speak to the failures of Edmund. But at some point before UFC 170, before she fought Sarah McMahon, he was creating some kind of either reality or telling us about some kind of truth that no longer has any relevance to her life whatsoever. You figure it out. From, that, from, from this point, though, let's have an anatomy of this disaster that happened on Friday night. All right, let's forget all that for just a second and, and pay attention to the slides here. And the reason why I want to break down this fight, I know some people think, oh, there's nothing to really break down. I disagree. Yes, some of this is quite obvious, but there's a little more to the story that you get when you look at the slides, including an added dimension of theater involved here. So let's go through these. Here you see first Amanda Nunes raising her hand. She's not like pawing out. She was trying to touch gloves. Rossi was having none of it. You have to go back and watch the fight footage, but there's something weird about Ronda's footwork. She, she doesn't necessarily bring her feet together all the time like CM Punk did in like a, like a really amateur way. But she'll take steps and then kind of cut angles, and then she'll do these weird crow hops. I don't know how to explain it exactly, but I, I tried to capture it as best I could. First of all, she got these like weird step positioning where she's like heavy kind of on one leg at a bad angle and is on the balls of her feet in the front. And you want to be kind of on the balls of your feet. You want to be nice and light, but not in this pointed kind of way. And then you watch it here. Watch her feet. Watch what happens here. Right? She kind of just crow hops back. And again, you can slide and stuff like that. And you can be light on your feet. But it's this weird up and down thing. Look, you can see here too. Look at her feet. Look at her front foot here. And she kind of hops. And those are not sliding. Those are, she's not stepping. She's hopping. Um, I don't, it, it's this bizarre off-balanced, poor weight distribution, uh, thing that she does that I just don't quite get how she got it or how it hasn't been rooted out, but there it is. All right. So here's the first part of the, and that's, and you can see this over the course of the fight, at least in the early part, but you know, we saw, we saw Tarverdian talking about the, the smoothness of her footwork and how it allows her to get inside. And you can see here, it, it's the opposite. It's unbalanced. It's, uh not timed, there's no real, um, you know, foundation that she is resting on, whereas Amanda Nunes is nice and light on her feet, but still got has enough planted uh, to be able to connect with authority. So the first thing is Amanda throws a kick, right, that I'm not sure if Ronda blocked because the angle here is not all that great, but nevertheless, she brings it back, this is her retracting it now, and as she does, she fires off this sort of left straight, as you can see, if you go back real quickly, you know, where is she throwing this? Kind of on the outside, or maybe by the M on the uh, metro of the PCS ad. And by this point, she has slid back in the pocket a little bit, which gave her room for that left straight. And then she retracts it, begins to throw a right, I believe, here, if I'm not mistaken. Nope, she goes back to the left, excuse me, fires it, measures it. And now look how far she's come. Remember, she was here at first. 
Then she was here, then she was here. She's sliding over, creating angles. Look at how far over she is. She's measuring with the left, but she has stepped over enough to create a lane for the right. Kind of what like Frankie Edgar was trying to do to Jose Aldo. It's just that Jose Aldo didn't let him. And then fires this one. Now this is actually what you want. If you're Rousey, you kind of want this. Um, BJJ Scout had called this the hanger. This, this kind of uh, inside hook that she tries to time uh, to be able to wrap the head. But it does, she, she kind of, it, it just never gets out of second gear in this whole fight. And you can see her try to wrap, and right away, she gets pushed off, right? Alright, so here they are. The continues. This continues. Amanda Nunes facing off. Ronda, now this is a better balance here, right? She's kind of on the balls of her, or heels of her feet, I should say, a little bit. But she's at least got a little bit of, like, it's not she, wobbly. She was, like, wobbly before. It's bizarre. Um, you know, footwork is a hard thing to get correct, both in how the feet are in relation to each other, how the feet touch the canvas, how they pivot, how they slide, um, spacing, different positions for different needs, different weight balancing for different needs. Um, but it should never look like the person is wobbly or bouncing. You know, uh, I mean, bouncing. When I say bouncing, I mean like that crow hopping I'm talking about. You know, where it's just this you're 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 you're, you're jumping into position in a way, but it's it's completely. Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not merely wild, but uh, sort of undisciplined and, um, you know, lacking any kind of sure-footedness. So you can see Amanda Nunes leans over, throws a right. Rousey gets that hook up again because that's what she actually does like to do. And the hook misses. Rousey tries to connect and can't get one either. Amanda slides over. Amanda does a push kick here. Rousey tries to connect back, doesn't get it. And watch what Amanda does, right? She's kind of here on the edge of this monster logo. She steps back a little bit, slides just enough in the pocket, and look at Rousey. On the again, it's not. You have, it's actually right to be here. You want to be here, but look how tall she is. She's super tall. You want to be on the balls of your feet so you can slide and move and and right. It's, if you're just flat-footed, it's hard to move, but. She marries that by being super tall in the pocket. Boom. Eats one right over the top. Look at that. Rousey kind of just reaching all the time. Right? Rousey wants to grab a head and an arm or at least a head something. But look what she's doing. She reaches out. Look how far away their hips are. Look how far away their feet are. She's getting lit up. Boom. Cracked with the left as Amanda drives forward. And there's Rousey. Just, you know, nowhere to be anywhere offensive. Slides back in the pocket. Look at look at the different body posture here. Down. Look how nice wide base. You can see all the weight can go this way, but she could go at an angle if she needed to. Look at Rousey. She's kind of on the balls of her feet, but she can only go up and down. Right? Super, super tall. The legs aren't doing a whole lot for her. Foot, feet narrow together. Measures with a one. Boom. Fires with a two. You'll see Rousey fire this left teep a lot. I think four or five times she tries it, but she tries it either in a poorly timed way. Look at look at Amanda Nunes. I mean, she, she's just ready. Excuse me. She's just ready as Rousey sticks out this jab. <laughs> she can already see exactly where she needs to be. And you see Rousey over and over get caught at the end of the punches. where there's there, You'll see a moment in just a minute where her and Rousey exchange at the exact same time, and Amanda lands almost after Rousey's punch would have landed, but it was just too short. It happens over and over again. But just look at how she is able to to balance herself, slide out of the pocket, get her weight down, sitting down on the punches as she drives over, gets sets it up, fires it over, bang. Teep is just too late at this point. It's not going to do anything, right? Here's another one. She actually catches Amanda here a little bit. Amanda fires over the top. This is what I'm talking about when she tries that left leg teep again. But this time, it doesn't hardly even connect. Look how far it is. You want that teep. Remember the teep that McGregor hit on Mendez? You want the ball of your feet to get dig up in that thing. And she's barely even touching it. Plus, it's about to get parried out of the way. Look at her parrying it, right? This is not a leg kick. This is getting down and side parried here by Amanda. Amanda looking downfield. Look at how off balance she is. Arms super far away from her body, right? Looks like she's treading water. If you put a water line here, it looks like she's treading water. It's, it's crazy. And she tries to catch here. Amanda misses a little bit. 
Rousey comes over the top. This is another good spot for Rousey. This is a time in a previous encounter, maybe a couple of years ago, she'd have wrapped somebody up. Right? And you can see, look at this. Wraps around the head. She's going to try and close this thing. This is what Rousey wants. Ducks under the arm, wraps the head. Remember, whether you're on the ground, whether you're standing, you don't want someone wrapping her head ever. This will be very bad news for you. She actually gets a little bit deeper. Look at that. Trying to uh, wrap. And rather than trying to fight straight down, she wants to off-balance Rousey. How is she going to do that? She's going to do that by turning in a circle almost into the wrap but getting her hips out of the way as she pushes off. Like, where's where's Rousey's weight? It's being broken this way. So you want to throw her kind of into that, right? That's what you, Imagine if someone's leaning over a diving board, you would push behind them to get them to certainly fall over. You could push them in a different direction if that's what it would take, you know, with a human being and another human being. But just think about that. What would it take you, if someone's bending over at the waist, what would it take to break them and to get them into the water? Just always think about that. So what Amanda Nunes does is she pulls her hips out, and she gets this hand here, pushes the head down under the armpit as she circles. And as you can see here real quickly, you can't see here, look, she blocked the foot. So she blocked the outside foot, pushed her weight as in the direction it was already going to keep it in that way, and then circles her hips out counterclockwise like that, and then pushes her off. Pretty nicely done. So it's not merely that... You, you know, you don't ever just want to, uh, you know, shove someone in the direction where they're strongest. You you want to, and you don't want to just go in a linear path, even if you are strong. You want to go in a circle. And she gets the circle in the direction. Look at Rousey. Look, watch Rousey here. Just what? Just don't pay attention to Amanda. Just pay attention to Rousey. Here, here, here. Boom. All in one motion. That's how Amanda did it. Really great job with that. And there was a certain timeliness with it, too. It'd be much harder to do if Ronda was able to get her hands clasped together. But she was never able to get her hands together. Um, Amanda Nunes just knew when she had to get her hands in play on that inside space, or at least around the back of that armpit. There's that front teep again. Now watch what happens when she throws this. She throws it and then just stays in space. And so when Amanda catches it or down or side parries it, she's Ronda Rousey is a sitting duck. I've never seen anything like it. She just sits there. Look at this. Drops it. Boop. Boop. <laughs> what? It's just, it's unbelievable. It, you know, it, there's something to be said for standing tall. And again, look at their body posture. Weight down, feet wide, measuring out, getting ready to uncork on the right hand. Just on the kind of balls of her feet, feet together again, super tall. Off balanced, tall, and, and not in motion. People are like, oh, she didn't have head movement. Forget head movement. Look at her feet. They're together. Look at her feet. Now, I mean, you wouldn't... It's not like having feet this wide is ideal in every scenario. But if you're not being checked on it, getting a nice, you know, wind up into that pitch uh, is great. It's exactly what you need. It's amazing. So there's that. All right, pitches it out once. Bang, twice, right up the middle. Catches her. Clean right again at the end of the punch. Look at that. That's a fully extended punch. Her heel is up because she's driving her weight forward. Hips rotated over. All right, and then fires another one. Look at where Rousey is facing. Facing this way. Amanda's hips, now her, she's kind of facing this way, but you'll see when she turns them, she's facing into Rousey. Rousey reaching feet a little bit further apart, but still kind of close together, still kind of tall, just kind of reaching over and trying to grab. She's sitting at the end of punches. She's reaching out. She's nowhere get close to getting hip to hip. She's not moving to the end of punches. Her feet are together. It's like everything that could go wrong did. Right? Breaks off, reaches, and then and it, let's see, take a look at Amanda's footwork here. She's not even really moving much. She's kind of just staying where she is. She fires a little bit as Rousey retreats against the cage. Look at this, leaning up super tall. Like not evading or anything. Now, she does get this hand up here because she is pretty good, again, at catching in, inside here. At least historically, she has been. So she was able to block a few of the punches that Amanda threw from that side, but was it enough? Look at, look at her reaching. It's like there's a wall here, and she can only reach through two different holes or something. Or there's a wall in front, she can only reach around uh, over the top of it. Look at that. Looks like, there's, looks like there's an imaginary wall here. They keep going. She gets pulls out. Here's another one. Amanda Nunes digs to the body here. Rossi tries to get her with a cross, tries to wrap the head. Look at her reaching one more time. And what's Amanda Nunes going to do? Get the hand on the inside. 
Get the other hand on the inside. We've talked about this a thousand times. If you have inside control, you are probably going to be the one who's going to win any kind of exchange or wrestling moment or whatever the case may be, the clinch. You want to have inside control. She's wrapping the head. You'll see she tries to grab the elbow here. But Amanda Nunes moves away. She doesn't fire any kind of knee because I don't think she was. I think she was already, you know, either rocked or bothered, one way or the other. So she steps back out. Boom. Now this is when they trade, and you can see here, this one touches her, but this one crushes her, hits her very hard. All right. And I just want to take a moment here. Look at Amanda's. Both of them have their hands down, but look at Rousey now. Look at her elbows being flared. A lot of times in boxing, you don't, I mean, you don't, especially if you're really good, you don't necessarily have to have your elbows right next to your ribs, but they'll teach you a lot to start from a position where your elbows sit on top of your ribs. And that way you can defend body shots easily because your elbows are already right there. It gives you the ability to fire a straight chambered punch. When your elbows are flared out, number one, you're using a different set of muscle groups. Two, you can just, it's easy to see everything coming. When it's, everything is straight and compact, a, it's, not, it's more powerful, and B, it's a little more disguised, and it's C, it's better for defense. All kinds of reasons, and you protect your ribs. Like, it's just, you just, again, you don't have to have them glued to your ribs, but you'll see they'll teach that way, and you'll see better boxers, you know, especially when they're facing a great body shot artist. They keep their elbows nice and close to their ribs so they can be there in case something sneaks tries to sneak through. Look at this, man. It's unbelievable. And here's where they try to greet each other. You can see Rousey. She's still kind of in it here, man, a little bit, you know. Boom. Why? Because Amanda, when they threw, head straight up, leaning but head straight up. And by the way, her head not under her hips, kind of leaning too far forward. But what's Amanda going to do? She's going to lean off that center line. Whoop. Look at her. Look at Rousey. No lean at all. Straight. Eats a shot. Boom. Amanda tries to charge in, slips a shot. Comes in. Now this I'll give Rousey credit. This is Rousey's best punch. She actually landed this nicely. I don't think it had a ton of power behind it, but it didn't matter. She jabs as Nunes comes through. And when Nunes, when she when this jab, jab retracts, Nunes comes up and tries to fire a shot. Okay? That that hook. She misses it. Rousey lands this right hook clean. Uh, and, and it didn't do enough to stop her. But this is, you know, it sounds kind of bad to say. When I watched the fight the first time, I was like, I don't think Rousey landed a single shot. No, she did. She landed two punches, I think. Two good ones, anyway. This was the best of them. She actually caught her clean here. Um, something to be said for that. But the problem is, she's just going to stand in space, and so that's going to happen. She has no combination work. She didn't catch her and then move. She didn't catch her and, and circle. She didn't catch her duck and circle. She didn't catch her and exit. Remember we saw Lando Venata last week or two weeks ago, right? He would, he would try to attack and then exit at an angle because he didn't want to be there for the return shot. Rousey's just always there for the return shot. All right, boom. And another one comes right over the top. Here comes another one. Amanda Nunes firing a jab. Hands down here. It's not like she's not able to be countered, but Rousey's just not the kind of person to be able to get a hold of that kind of thing. Right, as this picture loads, we'll look at this. And that right lands. Let's kind of look real quickly. I think she fires a right. Another one. And it lands kind of nicely. All right, this is sort of close to the beginning of the end here. You can see Amanda Nunes just marching her down. Rousey's face is already red, breathing heavy, in retreat. All right, Amanda Nunes, she'll, you'll see her. She'll come, she'll duck and fake with the right, and then squeeze to the inside to grab a hold, and then do what's called like this dirty boxing technique, right? Fakes the right, pulls it, doesn't actually decide to fire it there. She pulls it back. You can see Rousey bites on it, which gives her that space to come inside, cracks it with the left, Uses that to then control her, and then comes over the top with this nice right. Now look at Rousey, trying to grab the elbow, trying to grab the head. She likes the head and arm. She also likes the two-on-one on the arm called a Russian. Right? If you can get two hands and get your body over the top of an arm, it's a two-on-one. She did that, or tried to do that to Holly Holm. It just didn't work. She's never able to get her hands plastered in any kind of way. She's just never able to get a whole lot as a consequence. Remember, none of this fight's taking place along the fence line. Right, you remember Michelle Waterson had Paige Van Zant up there so she could get hip to hip on her. Look how far away their hips are. In judo, man, you got to get hip to hip. My hips have to be touching yours, and for not everything, but lots of things, especially all the kind of trips and throws that Ronda likes. And they're just never close. It's never ever close. She's reaching here. Look, and Amanda's pushing away at all times, inside control. And in this particular case, she has wrapped the head, but Amanda's just already in retreat. Look how far apart the hips are. 
there's just nothing there. You're look, look you're not if you're pushing away the end of your bench press, you still might have a little bit on it. If you're trying to pull from out here against an object that's going that way, if your arms are fully extended like that, you're not going to have a whole lot of strength. Her elbows aren't close to her ribs. There's not there's not a lot of pulling power at that distance, right? So, but she tries to grab. God bless her. She tries to grab her here and hold on. Doesn't go too well. And you can see she has a bit of an underhook, and this is getting close-ish, but. Um, the underhook is not deep at all. It's super shallow. It's not. It's not. She's not grabbing a lat. She's not grabbing. You know, uh, something of significance. Like you can grab someone's lat if they're big enough and use it as a handle. All right. You don't have a gi grip anymore. No problem. You can grab the lat. That's actually something you can hold on to pretty well. And she's nowhere close to that. She's like on the rear delt. There's not a whole lot there to do. And Amanda Nunez is not going to back out straight. She's going to back out. I guarantee at an angle here, just like that. And so it's just hard for Rossi to ever get anything going. You stopped it before it starts, it never becomes anything. You keep going. And then Rousey kind of stumbles into the fence. And this is just this is just terrible. Look at this. Boom. Over the top. Rousey gets that hanger there on the inside. So this deflects a little bit, but it's still getting through. And plus you're just leaning against the fence. Right? Tries to sort of right the ship. And you see what happens here. Nunez cracks her with a left. Look at Rousey. Tall, straight up. Look at this stance. Look at her feet, narrow. Boom, right upside the head. Okay, same thing. Falls. Measures her with this. This one, this one didn't connect. This one, I mean, it connected, but like as a measurer. Boom, that right hand. And I just want to pay attention to something here. Look at the body posture. She is digging. I mean, sitting down on the punch, driving it out. Look at look at Ronda Rousey. On her, like doesn't know where she is on the balls of her feet, leaning against the fence, arms wide open. This is what like, this looks like not merely fighter versus fighter, but like on the street attacker versus victim or something. I don't know. I don't know exactly. I mean, predator prey. I, I don't. I don't know what. I don't know what you would want to say, but I've never. I mean, it's just such a stunning distance between the two, and it hits her so hard. Look at that crack, man. And then that was the big shot that ended it. And you see she does this. Let's take a look at that from another angle. Measures here. Comes over the top. Nice on the inside space, right? The hanger doesn't catch here. Look at this. Two punches. Three punches. Four punches. Five punches. Are there more? Six punches. That one misses a little bit. Seven punches. Eight punches. All in close succession. This is the beginning of the end again. Here we go. Backs her up. Fakes the shot. Comes in with the left. Cracks her over the top with the right hand. Rousey's trying to grab. Right? Tries to grab behind the head. What does Amanda do? Amanda is going to slide this way. Pushes the hand inside. Raises the elbow behind her. You see that? Again, if the elbow is down by the body, it's strong. She's going to get this arm up and use it as like a wedge to wedge up and out as she gets her weight down and out behind her and then throws Rousey to the side. Like that. Off and away. And as she does that, Rousey, I don't know if... I mean, look at that. That is just a sight to behold, man. Esther Lynn takes great shots, but sometimes I see things when we slow it all down and take frames that just says something about the fights that, I don't know. It's wild. Look at this. Boom. Cracks her. Boom. Cracks her. And, and again, at the end of her punches, at this point, she's rocked. I mean, you know, what is she, you know, this is not like a super awesome critique of her boxing because at this point, she's not all there. Uh, you know, measures, crosses her up. And this is the big one. When she stumbles like this and then tries to right herself, it's this right hand that goes, pow. Look at that. Look at Ronda Rousey's hands. Just a, 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 I mean, her, look at Herb Dean. Herb Dean did a great job stopping this because she is absolutely out of it and defenseless here. Kaboom. Another shot. Of, look at that shot, man. It's like the walls are, so, even on those like roller coasters rides where you sit against the wall and then it rotates and it rotates and it rotates and because of centrifugal force, your back gets stuck to the wall. That's what it looks like she's doing here. She got stuck to the wall or something. Boom. And look how hard it lands. This is the picture is not that great because it's rendering, but look at this. Boom, boom. And Herb Dean saves her after that. It's the anatomy of an incredible, incredible, 
beatdown, a historic one, and one that might be the end of Ronda Rousey's career. I also want to give some special attention to TJ Dillashaw, and uh, he had these great takedowns. You saw um, when Holman and Tate were fighting, Tate would would be able to get under a punch and didn't just try to do a double. She tried to, you know, uh, do a double with a trip on the end of it. Uh, I actually don't, I mean, I don't really know what the proper name for this is. Um, a lot of guys don't do it. Some do it. I actually love this variation personally, especially, uh, I mean, it, you'll see Tita Dillashaw has great ability to um, penetrate on a takedown no matter what kind. But um, this one is just one a lot of people don't expect. It can stop a sprawl. Not, well, if someone's sprawling on you, it's not going to do anything. But um, it's just a way to, to stop a sprawl before it starts if you can get a deep enough penetration. And a lot of people just don't expect it. Puts them right down rather than having to wrestle with them and cut them at an angle. And what you'll see here is not only does he have two different kinds of takedowns, he has it from different stances. So from the orthodox stance, what you're going to see him is he's going to fake the left, drop his hand, bait the hook, and then duck under it while he steps out and around with this leg. So he'll penetrate with this one and then use this one as a tripping leg. Like, Take a look at this. Watch. Here we go. He'll raise this knee like he's going to jump, like he's charging in, right? Throws his hand out there. You'll see uh, Lineker, I think he parries this one, but then tries to get the left hook ready. Throws it. Looks like he's going to land, but too late. He And you can see the hand down of Dillashaw. Dillashaw gets inside of the punch as he's ducking sort of like not only to the side, but like in and to the side. Watch. And then steps around big time. Nice big step. He's a little far away on this one, but it works just fine because this knee is behind his. And he can bring his ankle in as he drives forward to get this guy off of his feet. Sucks that leg in. He's got the hips wrapped. Uh, underhook here is not going to do anything necessarily if you can even get it, which you can't. It takes him down. Watch it again. Starts in the southpaw position. Switches stances. So now we're back where we're started to orthodox. He's going to flash the left by raising this knee. He's going to flash this. He's going to bait the parry on this one so he can get the hook on this one because he wants to get under the hook. Here comes the hook. Drops his hand like that. Digs in. Look at that deep step. He's almost got his hip to the outside of that leg. He's almost touching his foot to the other foot, the back foot. Super, super deep penetration. I think the movement here, this thing here, he's not only baiting the hook by dropping his hand, but at the same time, I think what he's doing is by raising like this, when he starts here, this charge up by flashing the, the knee on the left, it gets him to freeze for just an instant before he can react with the left hook when the hand comes down. He sees it. Throws it, but it's too late. Nice, deep step. Super deep step. I mean, this is great work by TJ Dillashaw. And gets him down. Now, watch this. Here we are in the southpaw position. So, is he going to switch to orthodox and do that double into a trip? No, he's not. He has a different takedown when he goes in from the southpaw position, at least in this fight. Not saying he couldn't do it from this one. He just didn't. Sets it up. Look at him. He's, you see him looking here. What does he do? Sets up, right? Here they are. Southpaw to Orthodox, they both flash the jab, but I think it was TJ who went first. He has the inside foot here, which I think he wants in this particular context, because what's he going to do? He's going to dive under it before the left hook comes, because he's expecting a 1-2 from Lineker. Gets under it, look at nice, deep penetration. Doesn't even have to hit the knee pound. He's got that, I mean, this is just like, look at this stance. It's like a classic wrestling stance. For a, for a level change shot underneath the hips, he's going to wrap him, and he's going to cut him at an angle. He's not going to just drive him straight back. Why? Because it'd be a sprawl there, probably. So what's TJ going to do? He's probably going to bring that trail leg around and then drive like that. Just like that. Puts him down. Pretty nice stuff there from TJ Dillashaw. One more time real quickly. Let's take a look at it. Southpaw switches to orthodox, flashes on the left side like it looks like he's blitzing, drops the left, excuse me, drops the right hand to bait the left from Lineker, misses it, gets a super deep step, trips him and brings him down at an angle. Then from the left hand side, sets up, off the jab. Actually, he was first here. You see Lineker second. He knows the one two is coming. Ducks under it. Nice super deep penetration. Lineker committed to the punch all the way. Let's Dillashaw get up under, wraps it, and then cuts him, not back, at an angle with the trail leg coming around like that. Boom. Sits him right down. TJ Dillashaw did a great, great job with this. And last but certainly not least, we take a look at what's coming up in the week ahead, and the answer is nothing. 
Uh, as I understand it, there's no Bellator event till late January. There is no UFC event, and World Series of Fighting has no event either. So there might be some other things going on in the world of combat sports, but there is no MMA. So I still owe you that Cerrone breakdown, and I, I think I'm really going to dig into that Cruz Garbant breakdown. But you know, for a five round fight, man, it just takes, makes these things way too long. So uh, didn't want to, you know, miss a chance to uh, talk about some other events. But I will not neglect you. I will make it happen. We will figure it out one way or the other. May bring in some help to do it, as a matter of fact. So we'll see how that goes. Thank you guys so much for watching. Please give it a thumbs up, share it around. Always appreciate it when you do. I hope your holidays were great. Mine were. And uh, looking forward to a big, productive 2017. If you watched this podcast at all in 2016, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You guys are the best. Let's keep it going strong in 2017 as well. And thank you guys. Okay, so until next time, you know what time it is. Enjoy the fights. <laughs>